Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. If you're doing a campaign, you will play that character for years sometimes. The last campaign that I ran, (laughs) we played for three years. We played for three years. I ran the game um, and they played basically those same characters. Now, if your character dies, you roll a new character and you will start kind of from scratch. A three-year game. So you're, you're, it's just, it's it's the same game and it's going on for three years. No, Claire, life isn't all fun and games. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes you record a podcast, too. Sometimes you do, David. Hi, welcome to this episode of Fanatics. I'm Claire Kramer with my co-host, David Magadoff. Hi, David. Hi, but sometimes you record podcasts about fun and games, like today. <laughs> Are you playing with me? I might be just a little because we have on today a wonderful person. Uh, you, of course, probably were introduced to her from the most wonderful show, True Blood, on HBO, which I'm sure you could stream on HBO Max this very day. But I was introduced to her in college when she did her very first play with me. Uh, this is Deborah Ann Wall. Yes. I loved her on Punisher. That's my show where I love her. But yes, I'm I'm very excited to have her on as a guest today. David, you guys go way back. What was your first play in college? The Marriage of Bet and Boo oh, by <laughs> Christopher Durang. And it was... It wasn't Baby in the Bathwater. Great... Yeah. <laughs> you know it, girl. It was a great little, you know, dark comedy. And she was absolutely fantastic in it. And as a freshman, and you're just, one of, you're, you're just you're like, well, this person's really talented. She was so kind, but also just so talented. And she, of course, was the freshman who made it into the senior play, right? So that's why everyone was like, had their eye on her. And like, surprise, surprise, she turns out to be this like incredible working actress. You know, she literally was in Daredevil, and that's how everyone knew her from there after True Blood. And then they're like, let's just put her in every other Marvel Netflix show between The Defenders and The Punisher because she was just so great. She has this Meryl Streep like, presence on stage she's got this wisdom and this maturity beyond her age and yet she also loves dungeons and dragons i love that (laughs) i love that (laughs) so much that she has her own youtube show about it called relics and rarities which of course you can find on youtube surprise uh but you know where you can find this podcast right this very second don't turn it off enjoy 
how many six-sided dies do you have? <laughs> six-sided dice? So like regular old dies? Oh, wait. So how many sides? Regular dice have six sides. How many sides does a Dungeons & Dragons die have? So there are, a, there's a lot of Dungeons & Dragons die. The die you're thinking of is the D20, which has a, which is a 20-sided die, which is sort of Good the like Lord. <laughs> major die that you use in Dungeons & Dragons. But a six-sided die is a regular die. We do use that in Dungeons & Dragons. But that is, most people have a six-sided die in their home. I have, you know, dozens, but uh, <laughs> there you go. Just die, just... Just, oh, what, just rolling dice. What's on the yes. 20 sides? Wait, hold on. Twenty, The 20 numbers. But, okay, 20 numbers. So 20 numbers, we yeah. are talking today, and I'm really excited for this, Dungeons & Dragons, because I have always – I watched the cartoon in the 80s growing up. That was like my favorite sure. Saturday morning thing. And I have never had the chance to really go into this world. I've spoken with people about Dungeons & Dragons, but more about, you know, more from like a sort of – ancillary place. Today, that's all we're talking about. So for people who have never played, like me, or like someone who may be listening, can you just define what a Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> game is? Yes. So Dungeons & Dragons is a storytelling collaborative game. So while there's a dungeon master who is sort of the referee and who guides the story, uh, the players are all playing together. You're part of a team. And you are going on an adventure and you will have a, a character sheet that will give you your stats. So some of you might be really smart. Some of you might be very charismatic. Others might be very strong. You're going to build a character with different abilities, as well as some magic casting and fighting abilities and special features. And the dungeon master is going to guide you through a story. And anytime you want to attempt to do something like climb a wall or cast a spell, you're going to use your sheet as well as rolling dice. So some of it is your innate abilities and some of it is luck. Boom. That was that was as probably as succinct an answer <laughs> as anyone has ever given on d So <laughs> where do the character sheets come from? Because it's all based mm -hmm. in your imagination, right? Yes. So it's a theater of the mind game primarily. Obviously, a lot of people play with little minis and maps and terrain. There's a lot of sort of... Uh, equipment and gack that you can put on top of it. But for the most part, it is just imagination-based storytelling. So the character sheets, there's a system, there's a lot of really big, thick books that I own and <laughs> lots of people own that will help you build a character. So, you know, some of them are pre-generated and really easy to jump in with. Other people love the, like, complexity of building a really interesting, you know, nuanced little pieces of, you know, character bits. But for the most part, it's just six abilities. So uh, strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. And everything's kind of based off of that. And are you rolling a die in the same way that, like, in a game of Risk, you would roll the dice to compete? And, you know, if I roll a five and you roll a four, then I win this battle. Yes. So essentially, uh, like, as a dungeon master, let's say it's a skill. So you have to climb this wall. So I decide, well, how hard is this wall? Is this a very smooth surface that would be really difficult to climb? Or is it one that has a lot of handholds? Is it 20 feet high or only 10 feet high? So I would decide how difficult it is. If it's easy, I could say all you need to roll is a 10 or higher. If it's really hard, I might say you need a 15 or higher. Then you would roll your d20 hopefully get a high number, add your strength bonus to see how well, to add how you know good you are at climbing. And that's how you'd find out whether you successfully climbed the wall or not. So you could be very strong, but roll a two and therefore not even climb a very easy wall. 
But for the most part, that bonus is going to sort of make up for the fact that that you are good at it, even if you roll low. And, and do those bonus variables, the you know, your strength and the six characteristics yeah. you said, do those change every game? No. So you pick that character and, and if you're doing a campaign, you will play that character for years sometimes. The last campaign that I ran, <laughs> we played for three years. We played for three years. I ran the game um, and they played basically those same characters. Now, if your character dies, you roll a new character and you will start kind of from scratch. A three-year game, so you're yes. you're. It's just it's a, it's the same game, and it's going on for three years. How does it's it an end? Adventure story. It doesn't wow. really. I mean, it might end based on an objective the same way that Someone a movie dies. a movie would end, right? Like if in <laughs> if if your objective in this game is to find the dragon that has been riling up the giants in the land to attack each other and take out the small folk, you would travel through the Sword Coast. You would find magic items. You would stop villainy. You would save the innocent and eventually collect clues that take you to the horde of the Dragon Queen, right? And you would find her and you would fight her. And if you beat her, you win. Uh, But not necessarily. um, But so is there someone playing the Dragon Queen or that's just the hypothetical? That's That's the the Dungeon dungeon Master. master. So the Dungeon Master is going to play all of the monsters. The Dungeon Master is going to play. The wall. Well, yeah, they're going to decide. They're going to, you know, they're going to (laughs) describe the setting. So if I were to play with you, I would say, all right, you open the door. You enter a small room. It's circular. Right in the center, there's a well. Uh, as you look into the well, you can see it's a very, very smooth surface. Your, your your image is perfectly reflected back to you. What you also see as you look up to the ceiling is a compass rose. And I would describe that. And then you would tell me, what do you want to investigate? This really is a theater of the mind. It's a theater Deb, of the mind how game. often are you playing this game? So I would say a year ago or so, it was very often. I would play at least once a week. Yeah. Um over the pandemic and everything, it got a little bit less, and life comes in too, and things change. Um, but I, I mean, I play a couple times a month now for sure. How? When? Who are you playing with? Is it the same group of people? Is it are yeah. new people invited in? Yeah, I mean, I love playing with new players. I think that's sort of my favorite thing is to bring new players in and help them get started so that they can go off and play more themselves. <laughs> I also think that new players are, in some ways, they're more interesting to play with because they don't know everything already. And rather from playing off their sheets, they play from their imaginations, uh, which to me is more fun. I'd much rather have you say, I want to run 100 feet back and, and, and run as fast as I can and try to catapult myself over the wall and then use your sheet to try to figure out how to do that rather than simply using your sheet. So I'd rather you like come up with ideas and new players are generally more open to just playing with their imaginations. So is it your preference to be the... The what do you call it? The dungeon master, or is it your preference to play a character, or both? I I do love both. I do often end up being the dungeon master, partially because it's a lot of work, <laughs> and you need a particularly uh, sort of committed person who's willing to do all of that. But it's also it's you're the main storyteller, so I get such an amazing kick out of the delight that I see in players' faces. And I've talked about this a little bit before, but you know I'm an actor, and David and I you know, acted together <laughs> in school, and so you know you we have that that love of like when you're having a moment in live theater with an audience and feeling that they're right there with you. 
this is almost more like combining that with live sports. So now your audience is playing with you. They're in the game, but they don't know what's happening. So in a way, like I'll tell a story. I, I One of my first homebrew campaigns, which means I wrote the story. I was leading them through it. It was entirely my creation. And they had been searching for this. This one of their character's sisters had gone missing. And they finally found her after fighting through this whole castle full of all this undead and terrifying traps and things like that. And they finally found her uh, in an enchanted sleep uh, in a, you know, in a, a room at the back and the bard was trying to save her. She was using all of her healing and they were depleted after this long fight to get through and it just wasn't working. She wasn't waking up. And, and I knew that she had like one hit point where if you play video games, you'll understand some of the mechanics of D and D because video games are directly inspired from Dungeons and Dragons, but you have health points essentially. So I knew that she was basically one health point away from waking up, but they didn't know that. And, you know, their healers going, oh, my God, I, I have one spell left. If I use it and anything attacks us, that's it. We're dead. But if I don't use it, she's still stuck like this. Maybe we carry her out unconscious. They're trying to figure out what the solution to this is for them. And finally, she was convinced by the group to try one more time. And... <laughs> I look at them all. They're all like, and I go, her eyes flutter. And they leapt out of their seats and cheered. And in live theater, that, of course, would never happen. Maybe you can make someone sort of giggle a little or maybe cry if you're having a really good night. But the idea that they were so dramatically, personally invested in the story that I was telling what is, a, is such a thrill. So I, mm. anyone who's a storyteller, especially actors, writers, should absolutely play d and it is, it is that same muscle, that same thrill that you get. Um, so, yeah, I, I love it because I get to be that kind of exciting ringleader. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Deb, I usually get to this towards the, the end of our podcast, but since you brought it up, would you say that's the why? You know, like the why you love this is because you it it it, it 
scratches this amazing <laughs> storytelling theater yes. itch, but maybe also a competition part of you that really enjoys that as well. Or- well, it's interesting because D and D is not—it's not super competitive in that way. Even as the dungeon master, even though I'm playing the bad guys and I'm trying to kill you, it's in service of story. We're not. I always say as a dungeon master, I'm playing with you, not against you. So it isn't really a competitive game. You don't win D&D. You just tell more story. Even if your character dies, that is just an incredible episode in this epic tale that we're telling. And you will roll a new character and keep playing. So there's another thing, too, to remember that like bad rolls or getting hurt or dying is not necessarily a bad thing in D&D. It's just more compelling story. And I've, I mean, I've known a lot of you know, games I've run or worked in where characters have died and the rest of the team spend the entire rest of the campaign trying to avenge that death that becomes the driving force of that story then. So there's that. There's other things. It combines a lot of things I love. I was a math geek in school, so it's a lot of math and and problem solving. Essentially, it's a problem solving. It's here's a 20 foot wall. How do you want to get over it? And there are, I love it. you know, hundreds of ways you could solve that problem. Here's a dragon. She's going to eat you. How are you going to stop her? You know? It's interesting that you are a math geek yeah. also because the, there are parallels. I can see that right away. <laughs> but there's also the variations. And that's what I love about like calculus and algebra yes. is there's several ways to solve a problem. Yes. And it sounds like that's the case also with D&D. Very much so. Take me back to the very first time you were introduced to this concept. Yes. So I, I was a late introduction. I wanted to play my whole life, but... Growing up in the late 80s and through the 90s, it was still kind of a little satanic panic and people were still didn't really know what it was. And then I think also it was it was a time period where maybe girls weren't invited in the same way that wasn't as welcoming. So I kind of felt like you already had to be, you know, you had to be invited in order to play. And and, and it was sort of an exclusive club. Like you were in a church community, like a youth group thing that wasn't, that was sort of like, oh, we don't play that in the way no, like no, Harry no. Potter was. Oh, okay. No, nothing like that. I, I mean, I think just meaning that society in general was not as open to D&D. Gotcha. And that the people who were felt very attacked for it. So they held on to it very tightly. Mm. There were a lot of gatekeepers. They didn't want people to come and play who they either didn't know they could trust or didn't think would be good at it or wouldn't respect it. And yes, there's probably some sexism involved in that as well. But certainly in the last, I'd say, 10 to 15, 20 years, that I mean, Wizards and, you know, of the Coast and, and D&D have been working very hard to really open it up. And that's been a big part of my love of the game and, and, and wanting to really be inclusive. That's why another reason I love playing with new players is I, I want it to feel easy and I want it to feel like you're invited. Yeah. I feel like that's what's happened in with pop culture yeah. in general yeah. is it's it's gone from something that was sort of like, you know, a very small group and really you know, held close yes. to something that now is celebrated, you know, across fandom yeah. and fandoms embrace each other yes, as well. I hope so. Okay, so, yes, so first time. okay, so 80s, uh, 80s child didn't play yes. 90s. And then tell us about your first experience. So I, I was in my 20s when I first started playing. My manager at the time uh, had been playing his whole life. So 30, 40 years, he'd just been playing D&D. So he's really started with the early editions. And I just asked him one day, I was like, I've always wanted to play. Would you run a game for me and my friends? 
and he came over and he did it. We had all the minis. He made a, you know, he did it very ups that we were very, it was very uh, fancy game of D&D. And um, I think we all just fell in love. I still play D&D with those people all the time. In fact, I ask them to play test a lot of my original material to help me really tighten it up. And so, yeah, so he was great. And he ran a first adventure for us. We fell in love. And we played that for, I'd say, a year and a half, maybe. And then uh, he got sort of tired of doing all the work. <laughs> so I offered to step up and write, uh, uh, you know, a level or two. And that kind of went, oh, my God, now I see the fun of doing it this way. And I ran a starter kit for some friends. And then I started writing my own. And, you know, the more people who asked me to teach them to play, the more I sort of, you know, delved into it. I'm still not very good with lore. There's like you know, like Tolkien or something like that. There's a whole history and world. There's a whole books written just on the world of, of Tolkien. And the same thing with D&D. There are whole history books of what happened in this imaginary world. I don't have that kind of knowledge. And it interests me less uh, than the actual gameplay. So I actually love doing custom homebrew games because if it's my world, I can just make it up. If you ask me a question and I didn't... There is no canon. Yeah, there yeah, is no canon. Exactly. And I can let you be a part of it. So, you know, I, I we had a game once where the guy was like, he was playing a private investigator. And he was like, I want to go to my office. Is there a private investigator's office here? And I was like, sure. So now I just wrote a note. And in that world, there's a little private investigator's office that belongs to this tiefling. You know, so I, I like that players can add to the world as well spontaneously. What is the elation like for you, Deb, yeah. when you are creating these original concepts and an original, like, I, I don't know if you want to use the word plot point. I mean, it seems yeah. like that would work with Dungeons and Dragons, but these original pieces that are going to be inserted into the gameplay, like what is internally going on when you first debut <laughs> them? I mean, I love it. I, I like twists. Like a lot of things I like to do are to play a little bit with archetype and trope. So to give you a lot of things you recognize, this is a fairy tale. There's a castle in the distance and an old woman begging for food in the forest, you know, like <laughs> things that we all recognize and then flip them on their head, which is really fun to do. And, and sort of, you know, I think people come to expect it a little bit from me, but it doesn't mean you can predict it. You just it just means, you know, something is coming, which means they're a little on their toes, which is really fun to play with. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love things like that. But one of the most recent adventures I wrote I knew I wanted to do like a scary hotel because it was a one shot, which means basically you tell the majority of the story within two to three hours. And so I was looking up, I was, you know, Googling creepy hotels and I got a lot of like, you know, the overlook from The Shining and things like that. But the lyrics for Hotel California came up and I was like, oh, my mm. God, this is a D&D game. Right. Like this, it's a creepy woman, you know, with mirrors on the ceiling. And oh, the, the line is... um. You know, we are all uh, we are prisoners all pris prisoners of our own devices. Of our own devices. Which I yeah. was like, what an amazing D and D. So I I I came up with a bunch of backgrounds that were based on like seven deadly sin type vices, and essentially you had to go and you had to your character had to confront their own vices and be willing to release that in order to get out. Otherwise, you're stuck. And basically, she and her beautiful men that were, you know, bellhops that <laughs> lived with her basically ate you every night. They were like cannibal, terrifying creatures. Um, and you were stuck there forever to be forever consumed unless you could figure out how to get out. It sounds like the movie Seven that's come to life. A little bit. Yeah, it's, you know, it's <laughs> in that space. But that's the fun of it is to find something like that. And you go, oh, my God, I'm so inspired by this. And how could I 
get a party of characters to just live through this story and sort of take that inspiration and run with it. This Here's what I'm hearing as someone who's never played. It yes. sounds like there is a basic concept of Dungeons and Dragons that you have completely exploded out of the box and have can make into anything. At the same time, there is core yes. elements that still make it what it is. There's a game mechanic that you can use and, and essentially you can skin it however you want. So if you want it to be cyberpunk in the future, if you want it to be steampunk in the turn of the century, if you want it to be everyday life and there's no magic. I just ran a Walking Dead. They wanted, they're launching a new little video game and they wanted a one shot uh, like Walking Dead inspired game. So we basically used the D&D mechanics, but obviously no magic and sort of, you know, spun it. And I changed some little mechanics here and made new things. So obviously the zombie mechanic had to be very different. The zombie, the walker mechanic had to be very mm -hmm. different than a D&D &D zombie would. So that was original. But yes, you can kind of take this base game and make anything you want from it. And, and that's really fun too, because then when you're playing with experienced players, you can still surprise them. Deb Dupe. Is there someone out there who likes Dungeons and Dragons more than you? Oh yeah, <laughs> Lots our, of I'm <laughs> I'm having a hard time believing that's true. Like I'm not I'm not not just pushing it just because yeah. the name of the podcast is called Fanatics, but like you <laughs> really, really really like it. Dungeons and Dragons, which is very cool. Like <laughs> the the deep diveness of it. I love narrating the game Mafia. That's sure, my slight. Sure. I can play Mafia all day long, every day, and I love creating that world and taking yes. people in and and taking care of them the joy that you are getting from this <laughs> is on another planet and, well, and I, its own dungeons and dragons game <laughs> the joy the joy of it for me too though is like spreading the gospel <laughs> yeah <laughs> is like helping other people because again i do think even though we've come so, come so far pe most people still are like what is this game like they still don't have a really full idea and I, I love being able to go, oh, it's so much better and easier and simpler and wonderful than you think it is. Do you think that playing Dungeons and Dragons makes you a better artist? Mm. You, Deb, or anyone you could, you know? Yes, I do. Uh, one, because it's a lot of acceptance. You know, as fellow improvisers will know, D&D &D is a 100% a yes and no but game, especially as a dungeon master. So when someone says... I want to catapult myself 43 feet through the air. I go, well, no, that defies the laws of physics, but you can do 10 feet. Or if you can come up with some kind of machine that would help you do that, then you can do that. And then if someone you know does something really wonderful, you can yes and them and say yes. And on top of that, you knock him to the ground and he falls down a, into a pit full of spikes because it was such a great idea that you had. So it's rewarding creative thinking on both sides. And so I think, one and also this the sort of so you have to be very open to anyone's ideas people will come they will always surprise you i can never predict what people are going to do I what's been a very surprising thing like when you've been played a game what's something that someone threw at you yet you were like whoa so okay i was playing with a a, a group of people i worked with and one of them their son and he was 14 15 i think at the time and he was playing a barbarian whose character is generally like rageful, has big weapons, hits hard. That's kind of the character of, of a, you know, the, the benefits of being a barbarian. But they had found an old witch's hut and it was filled with spiders. 
And he had collected all of the spiders in a jar. So he had like 30 spiders in a jar. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, you can collect spiders. And when they started going through this, you know, they were getting attacked by arrows from unknown places and things like that. And he, instead of taking out his, you know, war axe, he took out a slingshot and wanted to slingshot spiders at the bad guys. And I was like, of course you can do that. And when he hit, I was like, I don't think I can give you any like, you know, piercing da- or like bludgeoning damage from it actually hitting them. But I'm going to say the agitated spider lands on his cheek and bites. So I'll give you a little poison damage, you know. So even though it wasn't very, it wasn't like a terribly effective fighting strategy, it was so funny and wonderful. And and I love that. I love that too, that like, especially for kids who end up spending a lot of time in environments where they're told no, or you have to do this differently, especially if there's maybe on the spectrum and things like that. I love that D&D is a space where I get to say yes to his ideas, where I can say anything that you want to do, as long as it is, you know, within the realm of possibility. Absolutely. Uh, So that's always really special. I love that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What's the world record? (laughs) There has to be a Guinness Book of World Record for the longest campaign, right? (laughs) I guess so. I mean, I don't know what that is. Also, you know, length is like, are you talking playable hours? Are you talking like, because sometimes we couldn't play for a month or two. So that extends the length of your game in terms of that. So I would say, so we did Storm King's Thunder was the most recent campaign that I just did front to back. And I, and I extended it for them. I asked them to go to more than one giant's place. And that took us three years. I would say, I want to say like maybe 250 to 300 hours, something like that of gameplay. So, you know, I don't know what the record is. There are people who obviously play longer than that. But at a certain point with a homebrew game, you could go your whole lifetime. You could never end that game. Wow. Now leveling up ends at 20. So your character will start at level one, and as they gain more experience and get better at what they do, there's a formula by which you level them up. And at level 20, they are essentially godlike wielders of magic and skill. At that how many point, peop- how you're many a little people are bit playing a game? Um, I like f- like four players is my favorite. Um, so it's you and a ro- so it's you as the dungeon master mm-hmm. and four people in a room mm-hmm. one evening or a day for how long at, per, per day? Usually three to five hours is like a classic block of time. 
But something I've never done that I really want to do is people will do like D&D weekends where they like go away to a cabin and just play D&D all day, stopping to like, you know, have a food or go jump in the lake or like have a, you know, a another moment but it's basically there to play i would love to do something like that but do you I, think you could oh you should do a business it. claire will get into this because claire <laughs> always has business ideas but i think you'll like this claire i'm gonna pitch something okay. so claire Go you're gonna help be an investor on this and help okay. take, hold hold deb's hand on this deb you set mm-hmm. up these you find some amazing airbnbs mm-hmm. you set up these weekends you pay good money you clearly uh are a wonderful dungeon master <laughs> you show a little clip of how fantastic you just play this podcast they'll understand <laughs> You in? That's fun. It is Make fun. Make some money. I, I, it would be amazing. I am trying to figure out how to pro DM outside of like entertainment, you know, like, because I've done a lot of like paid for, write for a stream or something. I have my own show on YouTube. If you want to watch Relics and Rarities, it's a my Dungeons and Dragons show. There's only six episodes. They're really digestible. They're like two hours each. There's famous people in them like Kevin Smith and Sam Richardson and Charlie Cox and Janina Kavanka. We have amazing people. So say say the name so they just everyone relics, hears it. Relics and Rarities. It's on YouTube. You can find it. I'm super proud of it. I think I think we can build out this business model, though. <laughs> I, I agree with David because it can be, you know, instead of like a couple's retreat yeah. or like, you know, therapy or like yoga retreat, it's, it's the opposite to strengthen your relationship yeah. it's the dungeons and dragons retreat well you there's know? something too i i always like to talk about with D. it's practicing being a hero right mm-hmm. i mean you are practicing saving innocent people taking down tyrants making really complex often moral decisions and you know i think the idea of having a space in which we imaginatively embrace the best of ourselves or you know what what we would hope for ourselves i think is mm. is really a wonderful practice so yeah, I, I love that. What's the biggest personal transformation you've seen from an actual person who's played who maybe at the beginning of a campaign <laughs> was like eh, either reserved or, you know, just yes. something was not, you know, clicking. And then by the end of the campaign, however many hours of gameplay, you're like, you're actually like now a better person They're for running this for president. experience. <laughs> like <laughs> Boy, I mean, I don't know. I, it would be hard to say like a better person <laughs> from the experience, but I definitely think like I, I have a number of friends who I've introduced to the game who are very shy to begin with and very in their sheets and very nervous and very not wanting to make a mistake. And after a few sessions, once they've kind of given themselves the permission to loosen up and really play have become some of the best players I've ever played with. I mean, like two people who come to mind are my friends, Tommy and Julia, who are on Relics and Rarities because they are pro-level D&D players now. But when we started, you know, there was a little reticence. There was a little, ooh, I don't know, and and that kind of thing. But Julia is an incredible player. The ideas that she comes up with are so out there, but they tend to work. And Tommy is one of my favorite players because here's another fun little thing with D&D. So you have your stats, your abilities, right? Just because you have like a minus one to your charisma doesn't mean your character knows you have a minus one to your charisma, right? So he's playing a prince who essentially his whole life has been told he's wonderful and has had everything catered to him. So he has no idea that he's actually an extremely uncharismatic person. 
So what I love about it is even though his charisma is a minus one, he makes charisma checks all the time. He's always trying to like persuade people or flirt or get, you know, intimidate them or use his personality to get things done because he it has worked for him in the past because he's so sheltered. But now that he's out adventuring, so he leans into the fumbles. He leans in knowing he makes actions as his character that he knows will likely fail. But he doesn't do it. He does it full heartedly. Like, Viros really wants to see if he can, you know, convince this person to give them his horse, you know, give them his horse. And it won't work, but he leans into the story of that. And so I just, I'm so impressed with that as, as a player. That's such a brave way to play. Uh, and and certainly when he was first playing, I, I, I you know, that's been a real journey. Uh <laughs> It just sounds like imagination, the game. It is. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, you're you're teaching me and I'm learning <laughs> so much great stuff about D&D because I really thought it was a very specific game. Yes. This is that was about Dungeons and Dragons and a giant <laughs> die and whatever basically Stranger Things told me. And you're like, no, it's just it's a little Pandora's box and it's it just is. a starting point for so many great things and very i'm true. very interested in it now so we don't ever really get into because you brought it up with the entertainment business we rarely get into people's careers but i'm <laughs> curious because it is such a family group environment thing i'm you know here i am shooting dexter based in this closet you know still in boston and and i get that your kind of family environment have you ever played with like the cast of true blood or the cast of daredevil and has that ever gone well or ended horribly right so i've never done like with the whole thing. So during uh, Daredevil, one of the actresses and then our hair and makeup team, they all were interested. So we did play a couple of times with them. Uh, Janina Gavankar and Joe Manganello off of True Blood. So Joe was already playing. He's been playing his whole life. Um, but Janina, I introduced to the game and now I play with her often. I play with Joe often. And Janina's podcast is going to be airing next week. Oh, which, and this podcast is going to be beyond that but for your purposes next week <laughs> next we're week dropping yeah. i love it so there you go yeah. Um, so yeah so I, you know i i can't say we've ever done like a cast wide thing or sit down that kind of thing but i everywhere i go i i a lot of my like onset downtime activity is building characters or writing campaigns so huh. i will have giant books in my lap while we're waiting for camera to get set up and people and i'm doing math and like <laughs> writing things out and drawing little sketches and you know, floor plans for dungeons. Like, what is that? I It's so such a mystery to me. Can you explain it? And usually I get people who then would like to try it. And so I, I inevitably run a lot of people's first games as sort of an introduction. How many first games have you run? Because you've said a couple times, like part of the joy for you yeah. is introducing people. And I get that. Like, I love sharing yeah. things I'm passionate with people who haven't experienced them before. So how many <laughs> times do you think that you've, you know, can you even count 50, 100? No, no. I mean, more like 20, 25. I mean, you know, it's 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 slow going. <laughs> and I, I have this rule where I always offer, if someone's interested, I always say, oh, I'd love to run a game for you. Just let me know. And then I wait for them to ask me again because some people are just being polite right. and I don't want to, you know, totally nerd out all over them. I think uh, you so, should. I think you should. Hold, I think you should hold people accountable, Deb. I guess. I don't know. But I make the offer and make it clear that, like, you can write me anytime and I will happily do that for you. But I let them make the first. Oh, my one. gosh. I love it. All right, Deb. We end every podcast with a love letter. Oh. So you are now 
given the opportunity, even though this whole podcast <laughs> has been a love letter, I feel it, but to specifically state in the terms and the phrases of Dear Dungeons & Dragons. And if you don't mind, please uh, regale us. I'd say thank you, Dungeons & Dragons, for validating 12-year-old Deb. Nobody liked 12-year-old Deb. And when I play D&D, I feel like I'm 12 again, and I feel accepted. Well, that was maybe our favorite I'm, love letter. I'm I all teary. Agree, huh? I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Aww. Deb. You have really enlightened me. I mean, I've always known about the game, obviously, and about Critical Role, and uh, you know, I've talked to Joe about it, but sure. I haven't ever gotten sort of the 101. And I'm really appreciative <laughs> because you put it in a way that not only I could understand, but it makes me actually want to do, you know, to create some characters. And and I see the parallels oh, now between, you know, sort of being an artist and enjoying this game and also enjoying like, you know, the analytical aspect of it. Yep. Yep. The problem solving. You know, I think if, yes. if you like problem solving, <laughs> you will love Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I love it. So, uh, David, are we going to play? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we have to, and I think I, we know who the Dungeon Master is going to be. You just have to write me. I, I made the offer. You just have to follow up, and I will. Done. We, and we can do it on Zoom, so it doesn't matter where you are. Done. No, I'm, I'm going to be back soon, so it'd well, be fun to do it in person. It would be. Deb, awesome. Thank you. Great to see you guys. I can't wrap my head around the three-year game. I can't wrap my head around a one-week game. <laughs> Do you have commitment issues, David? <laughs> Maybe. I Maybe. mean, how long is it? What's the longest game you've ever played of anything, Claire? That's incredibly long. I promise you it was not three years. It wasn't one year. The longest game... That's actually a good question. The longest game I've ever played is probably going to be a either a long Monopoly game, okay. or which can go a couple days, or a wow. long risk game. I think I've done a couple day risk game. Catan, That's about as long as I've gone. Usually, I, I, I'm at the point with my family who I normally play with that we can wrap up a game in an evening. Maybe play two. Well, since we did that recording and now this outro, we have started. We are going to have a Dungeons and Dragons game. We're setting it up yeah. with Deb. And this is very exciting. Well, all of us. Which maybe we'll we'll have to at least post about it and share about it in some regard with all of us playing together. That's very exciting. Oh, definitely. I think the thing I'm most impressed with after like really taking a deep dive in is how much how much like creativity is involved yeah. from the you know the players' point of view and the you know game master's point of view. And it's not really just about, you know, the name is misleading. <laughs> when I Super think of Dungeons misleading. and Dragons, I think of the cartoon I grew up watching where every Saturday morning, like they're on the roller coaster and woo, they go through the tunnel and then they're fighting whatever. And that's like the half hour show. I love that show, but this is not, there's no correlation really at all. So maybe if I do play, I'm going to yeah. reenact the beginning of that cartoon for my character. <laughs> To just tie it all together, bring it all full circle in my life. <laughs> That's beautiful. I kind of really hope you do that now. What, what, what happens if this game turns into longer than, than a day? Are we all in? Or what happens if this turns into a one-year game? Well, I mean, we're already committed to each other anyway on this thing. We are so committed to each other. What's another commitment? Which, I mean, I agree. You know, it would probably be a one-year game where, like, we play once a month, though. It wouldn't be, like, an everyday one, you know. 
it's a little still blows my mind still blows my mind that that happens i mean i guess i technically i'm aware that that probably is happening somewhere but to actually meet with someone who has been in these games before and walks into it this is just something i did not know about her at all (laughs) and now you get to know this about her too and check out all of our wonderful fanatics podcasts and our deep vast fanatics podcast library ever growing ever consuming you want to know about Tony Hale? He loves indoor malls. Tiffany Thiessen, 500 cookbooks. Leonard Maltin's a big vintage jazz guy, just to name a few. Catch yourself up, man. What are you doing? <laughs> like, subscribe, and thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I'm Claire, and David is the other guy, and we'll see mm-hmm. you next week. Hey, guys, before we go, let me tell you about next week's episode. We've got the most amazing, most wonderful Kim Rhodes. You know her from Supernatural, King of Kong, and, of course, the sweet life of Zack and Cody. She played the mom. You know her. You love her. And she loves Shakespeare. I mean the bard. I mean iambic pentameter. It is going to be Tempest in here. Here we go, guys. See you next Thursday. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your Fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode. Dungeons and Dragons has no Dungeons and Dragons. It has me and you. Dungeons and Dragons has no Dungeons and Dragons. It's fun to do. Woohoo! Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.